The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, as you can tell from my accent. I've worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues and organizations in the U.S. I'm retired from medical practice, but I'm still working in healthcare research and development. As far as family caregiving goes, I see it as one of the most important supports for healthcare right across the world right now. Who are family caregivers? They are the people who provide care to family members suffering health challenges. Family caregivers are the people who go on providing care when all the professional caregivers, like I used to be, have gone home. Family caregivers are the people the healthcare systems of so many countries rely on more and more. And in case you hadn't already realized it, I'm actually an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our episode today is about Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS and MND, and support for family caregivers. First, the names, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS and MND, all refer to the same disease. It attacks the brain and nervous system. It affects around 33,000 people in North America. It has no cure. It progresses in phases. And while it's progressing, it destroys the brain's ability to move the arms, legs, and body. It brings failure of the muscles involved in breathing and therefore loss of the ability to breathe without help. But it never removes the ability to see, to smell, to taste, to hear, or to recognize touch. Nor does it usually impair thinking or other mental abilities. All in all, it's a cruel disease. Now, for the episode today, we have two guests, David Cameron, who is president and CEO of the ALS Society of Canada, and Rodney Harris, who is the chief executive officer of <coughs> excuse me, the Motor Neuron Disease Association of Victoria, Australia. After I've introduced them they, and they've described their organization, they'll respond to points raised in episode three last January um, which was called Family Caregiving and Lou Gehrig's Disease. Now I'm going to introduce the two guests. David Cameron. David joined the ALS Society of Canada in September 2003 as president and CEO. Previously, he'd been executive director, Ontario Division of the Canadian Diabetes Association, a post he held for five years. 
He sits on the board of directors of the International Alliance of ALS MND Associations. He's also active in the Health Charities Coalition of Canada. With his vision for the future of ALS Society of Canada, he led it through a period of growth and transformation. Under his leadership, it engaged in a major strategic planning which committed it to closer working relationships among the 10 provincial ALS partners. The purpose overall was to enhance and is to enhance the potential for fund development and client service growth. His educational background includes a BA from the University of Toronto and an LLB from the University of Western Ontario. He's also received his Certified Association Executive designation from the Canadian Society of Association Executives. Rod Harris. Rod is the Chief Executive Officer of the Motor Neuron Disease Association of Victoria. He's been in this position for over 16 years. He's had an extensive engagement in community-based organizations, and he's served on the boards of a number of non-profit organizations. He's been a member of a board member and chairman of the International Alliance of ALS MND Associations. His work to develop palliative care services for people with life-threatening illnesses, particularly motor neuron disease, that's Lou Gehrig's disease, was recognized in 2005 when he was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia. He has a BA in social science and a postgraduate diploma in health administration. He's undertaken leadership training at the School of Management, Mount Eliza, and at Stanford University. Welcome to the show, David and Rob. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Gordon. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Now, I'm going to start with David. Please tell us about the role of the ALS Society of Canada. Thank you. Let me, let me set the stage, uh, Gordon. You, you mentioned before... Uh, that there are that we have a partnership with the uh, with the provincial societies. For your listeners, Canada is composed of ten provinces and three territories, and I'm responsible for the national organization. Uh, the ten provincial societies are autonomous, but we are all partners. The uh, primary focus for the ALS Society of Canada is cure, uh, raising dollars to fund research. To uh, find cause and cure for uh, ALS, and in uh, 2010, uh, our budget is just slightly over two million dollars for that, having grown over the last six years from about half a million dollars. We have a secondary uh, uh, focus, which is equally important and is part of our partnership with the ten provincial societies, and that is to support the efforts of the ten provinces in their delivery of service on the ground because they, in fact, are providing that, uh, that direct uh, service and support to uh, individuals with ALS and their families in all ten of the provinces and the three territories. Okay, we'll come back to more of the services and things you do. Rod, it's the same question. What's the role of Motor Neuron Disease Association of Victoria? Well, our role, uh, Gordon, is very similar to David's provinces. We're actually the service provider um, in the state of Victoria. So we deliver a very limited range of focused services. We provide uh, an information service, volunteers, 
regional advisors and an equipment loan service. And I'd just like to emphasise the regional advisor service that uh, its role is to be the interface between the person with MND and their carer and the service network that uh, exists in each state. Uh, we do have a national organisation that replicates David's uh, role with a strong focus on research and the support of the various state organisations. Right. Um, just one clarification. By carer, you mean the same thing as we do when we say family caregiver. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, we've, we uh, tend to uh, also encompass uh, people who are providing care that may not be a member of the family and also may not be an employee. Fair enough, yeah. David, what are the services and support that you offer to family caregivers and carers in Rudd's terminology who are looking after someone with the disease who is living at home? Well, we are very much an information provider when it comes to uh, individuals and families uh, who are dealing with ALS. And in this uh, Internet age, uh, we all know that the first stop for a newly diagnosed individual and, uh, and a family is the Internet. Uh, the Internet has expanded our reach and all of the other uh, ALS and MND organizations around the world. Information is the key. Uh, we provide uh, hard copies, of course, uh, within, the, within the country and within the provinces of information, but all of our manuals uh, uh, are uh, downloadable off the Internet, and what we've been doing for quite a number of years is uh, producing a manual for the newly diagnosed individual in layman's terms. It's not a, a medical document. It's, it's more... What do I do now that I'm, I'm faced with this diagnosis? Uh, we also produce materials that allow for the planning process because very much uh, one has to begin to plan for the future as the uh, mobility of the individual starts to uh, uh, drop off. So we right. have a lot of web-based uh, resources. Uh, we also have... Uh, uh, how to manage the disease type of information. And again, we are not physicians and we stay away from providing anything that might uh, impinge on the uh, physician's territory, but rather these are the sorts of practical things that uh, individuals and families with ALS <coughs> need to know about uh, the disease management. We okay. also uh, provide uh, referrals to the 10 provincial partners uh, right across Canada who are providing on-the-ground support. Uh, within Canada, uh, health care is a provincial uh, responsibility, not a federal one, and consequently there are a lot of services that are provided at the, uh, at the provincial level, and our partners are there to provide the support where there are gaps uh, in what is provided uh, by the province. There's a lot of advocacy that goes on. David, I'm just going to interrupt you now because we're going to run uh, out of time in a moment, and I just want Rod to answer the same question, and sure. then we'll come back to this. Services and support for family caregivers looking after someone with the disease who's living at home. Rod? Gordon, we've got a very strong inf um, information service, uh, as David does, and uh, I agree with him that it's really important that we get quality information to people at diagnosis and post-diagnosis, and the Internet uh, has certainly been a great boon to that. 
Um, a range of other services that we provide that help family caregivers. Our regional advisors provide uh, direct counselling and support by home visiting, uh, transfer of information, informing people at the level they want to be informed at at the time they're at in their progression with the disease. We've uh, tried to stay away from providing a manual of everything, but rather provide uh, the pieces of information that people are looking for at the time they're looking for it. We provide uh, training uh, programs. We have a program called Living Well, which helps people live, come to grips with the, the concept of uh, a disease that's going to end their life, as well as then addressing the issues of how they can live better for longer while they're fighting the disease. Right. And we have a number of uh, group programs that we do, uh, information nights for family and friends, which try and, tries to inform people and answer those really hard questions that people may not want to ask of someone who's been diagnosed or who is a family caregiver. Right, Rod, I'm just going to have to interrupt you again because we're going to go into the break, but we will be coming back to these things. So it's time for us to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are David Cameron and Rod Harris. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We'll definitely be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Journey into the realm of spirit, the source of all things. Master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing. Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, will awaken the unique genius within you. Host Christina Pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health, well-being, and joy through the practices of Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. Tune in each week to Why Shamanism Now, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on 7th Wave Network. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. 
You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, David Cameron and Rod Harris. Our topic is Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and MND, and support for family caregivers. Now, I would just like to ask Rod, please, to finish off what he was saying about what his organization does. Yes, we're running a range of group programs that that actually help people come to grips with living better with the disease to uh, empower them to make decisions and to assist them with uh, uh, future planning. So combined with our regional advisor model, which provides uh, an in-home counselling and support service for information and referral to service with group programs, we feel we can uh, support family caregivers and people with the disease to uh, plan their lives, make the positive decisions and live better for longer. Right. Now, that takes us into the next part of the... Um, discussion, and that this, this part arises from an episode earlier in the year, episode three, which was called Family Caregiving and Lou Gehrig's Disease. And for my guest, I had Colleen Smales, um, whose husband died from the disease in 2009, and Melanie York, who was diagnosed with it in 2008. And what they developed several points and things that they would like to see addressed. And I'm going to put their points to both of you um, so that you can explain to us all how what these two people saw as needs and you as organizations are matching together. So again, I'm going to start with Rod. So what's the training you either provide or recommend for helping family caregivers understand and recognize the physical, emotional, and intellectual needs of the person they're caring for. Good. Now, group training programs are uh, certainly aimed at all of those factors, uh, particularly our Living Well program, which is an eight-week readings-based activity. But also in Australia, other organisations provide this sort of training and support. We have a national carers organisation that uh, delivers a wide range of training and support activities Uh, and we also have a uh, neurological diseases group in Victoria that also provides care uh, family caregiver focused support on these key issues right David I'm training that you provide a recommend for family caregivers in knowing what care to provide and in learning how and when to provide it David and again, uh, recognizing that the primary mandate of ALS Canada is, is funding research, uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the response to that, that question relates to uh, the uh, provision of services at the provincial level. But one of the things that I did uh, want to, to express uh, is something that I learned uh, in the uh, in the first few years of, of being in this particular role, and it it relates, I guess, to the uh, it, it's the physical, it's emotional, and it's intellectual 
uh, needs of, of an individual with ALS, and that is that to the extent that it's possible, my experience uh, demonstrates that the individual with ALS does not want to be treated differently. Uh, one of the uh, messages that's been communicated to me is, is I won't break. Uh, I may be in a wheelchair. I may not be able to move my arms, but other than that, don't treat me differently. And that is a difficult thing for uh, those of us who are fortunate enough to be able-bodied to get past. And when you... The experience I have had and that I pass on to to my staff and uh, other volunteers who work in the area is uh, be tactile uh, within appropriate boundaries. Uh, Reach out to shake a hand. Perhaps the hand can't move, but you put your hand on it. You put your hand on the shoulder. And uh, those are the sorts of human contact that uh, individuals who who have ALS and and any other disease miss and and, uh, don't want to to be without. Uh, I'm sorry? Rod, I think you came in there. Yeah, I was just going to say that building on from what David said, it's the individual nature of this disease that prevents us from having a a one-size-fits-all solution to the issues that arise from it. And David's dead right. It's about each individual and each individual's needs that we have to be uh, looking at. That's why one training course doesn't equip a family caregiver to address the issues arising from ALS. Uh, We actually need to be able to look at the needs of every individual and tailor responses and uh, making sure that we present them with all of the opportunities to uh, get involved in the training and support mechanisms that are going to help them. Right. Now, one of the things that Colleen and Melanie stressed was helping families to advocate for the person for whom they're providing care because there comes a point where the people with the condition can't altogether or can't in any case advocate for themselves. Uh, Starting again with you, Rod, what about that? Is that something that you get involved with, helping family caregivers to advocate? We do. Our regional advisors work very closely with each family to advocate for their service needs, uh, for the supply of services from funded agencies in the state and to access services generally. In Australia, uh, because we've got a universal health system, uh, people's entitlement to access health doesn't require advocacy, it's there. But what is required is the access to the disability type support services where there are many people trying to access them with a broad range of disabilities and a limited range of funding to be handed out. And we work very closely with families to both advocate on their behalf and advocate in partnership with them. We we have, though, underlying that a philosophy that says, look, it's hard enough living with ALS-MND without having to fight the entire battle on your own. And in many cases, uh, our regional advisors take over that advocacy role with the agreement of the family uh, as their better place to push those sorts of issues forward. Good enough. David, um, one of the things that came up from Melanie and Colleen was the point about recognising the family caregivers' needs um, in these situations. 
Any comments about that? Well, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I've personally been through uh, uh, the experience of being a family caregiver, and so has my wife uh, quite recently. And the the uh, thing that, that strikes me and that I try to communicate to uh, those people who are in that role is that it's okay to feel uh, stressed. Don't feel guilty about how tired you are, that uh, you are doing the best you can, and that uh, it's all right to ask for help. Uh, I think that with uh, the, the stress and strain of caregiving and the the, the obligations that one feels as uh, as a family member to uh, be engaged and to make it better and make it right, uh, caregivers lose sight of what the impact on them personally and emotionally is. So one of the roles of, of ALS Canada and our provincial societies is to take that objective step back a bit and look at what's going on and know that you have to maintain your own mental and physical well-being in order to continue doing what you're doing. Right. Now that fits something else that uh, the two our two people said, said which is their coping and the family coping with the shift from independence to dependence. And Rod, have you any comments about your, what you do, what you suggest, how you support people who are making that shift from something, you know, independence, which was for many people uh, really the key to their lives to the point where they're more and more dependent on someone else? Rod? Yeah, look, I think, Gordon, that is it's one of the huge steps we make. We, we're dependent as children. We seek independence as young adults and adults. Uh, we achieve partnership with, with friends and, and new family. And then a disease like ALS strikes and all of a sudden we're dependent. And carers are dependent as well. They're dependent upon other people to support them. And the person with ALS is dependent upon their carers, their as their primary caregiver. It, it's a very difficult thing to be seeing someone's independence being taken away from them by this disease. And it's equally difficult to see someone else's responsibility increasing as that dependence uh, uh, shifts. I think what we have to do is support people with appropriate levels of respite care uh, to ensure that their carers are able to take a break from their caring role and, as I often say, so that they can remain partners and lovers, not carers and nurses. Great and I life. think we've, we've got to be able to establish that relationship shift and protect the, the lover and partner side at the same time as supporting the, the carer and helper side. Very good. David, it's a parallel question but a different thing, and that is, what also happens is a shift from being able to communicate through speech to a state where you have no speech at all. What about that? There's a, there's a fine balance here, uh, to, uh, to Rod's earlier uh, uh, comment about there being no cookie-cutter uh, uh, way to address things. People adjust and adapt to a diagnosis of ALS in different uh, fashions and over different periods of time. 
when uh, an individual is diagnosed, there will be a period after which their ability to communicate is going to be impaired, and that will be at differing levels for different individuals. At the same time, uh, the individual is learning to cope doing the uh, uh, the, the various steps of, of raging against it and disbelief and anger. What needs to happen is a sensitive uh, discussion about the methods of communication that are available. There is some amazing technology uh, that has uh, come to the fore over the last number of years. David, I'm going to break in there because we've got a break, but also I'm going to ask you about specifically about the technology in the next segment because it is important. So let's go to the break now because it's that time. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are David Cameron and Rod Harris. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We have a lot more to say. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When your car starts to gasp and sputter, you take it in for a tune-up. But what about when you get tired and need help? I got myself together. Sounds like it's time for a life tune-up. Simple, straightforward advice and techniques to help inspire and guide you in weathering life's challenges and finding your true purpose. Each week, Lauren and Shore Slocum will give you the tools to tune up your life in a way that's easy and fun. Stop making excuses and live your life. Tune in to Life Tune-Ups, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel, and tune up your life today. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, David Cameron and Rod Harris. Our topic is Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and MND and support for family caregivers. So I want to talk more about communications as a source of assistance for family caregivers. Uh, Rod, first of all, with you, what do you see as the role of social networking to help family caregivers who want to share experiences and to communicate with each other? 
Gordon, I think it, it has great potential, but it has a low take-up in Australia. Um, we have some people who are avid internet users and social networking users, uh, and they use that as part of their whole lives, not just part of their life with uh, ALS. And I think for the future it may be a benefit, but at this point in time we're not seeing a huge number of people accessing it. Perfectly fair. David, what about the situation? Now, I'm asking you the same question, that is social networking, but this time for the persons with the disease who want to share their experiences and communicate with other people with the disease. David? Well, uh, we all know that uh, uh, ALS can be a very isolating disease as you lose your ability to... Uh, uh, to be mobile and you lose your ability to uh, to speak, uh, everything seems to be closing in. So social networking, which is uh, a fairly new phenomenon, has been picked up uh, in certainly in Canada, I expect in North America, uh, and it, it plays a very important role uh, for a lot of individuals who have uh, ALS, uh, it may well turn out to be uh, a primary way of, of communicating uh, with their peers. For a long time, uh, there have been uh, online forums for sharing of experiences, and those continue. And I think the new social networking, the Twitter and so on, are just uh, sort of building on that and enabling uh, through technology uh, people who are otherwise being, feeling the walls close in, uh, able to see uh, a bit of a brighter horizon. Right. Rod, one of the many issues that uh, my two guests raised was the importance of technology within the family. That is to say, when communications have become extremely difficult, there was smart technology that enabled the father to interact with the child, the wife and the husband to interact, and all of them to interact. First of all, what importance do you place on the role of technology in that kind of thing, and how do you see it developing? Gordon, I see that communication is uh, one of the great losses that this disease creates and I think everything we can do to sustain communication uh, we should do so and you know it ranges the technology ranges from a little whiteboard with a black felt tip pen to highly complex eye gaze systems the key problem I think is the cost of, of uh, equipment and it's transferable nature from one person to another but we see a huge investment required in the development of low-cost high-tech devices uh, that can sustain communication in a meaningful manner right David that leads me to my question to you about the cost of technology uh, I wanted to ask you what advice you give about help with the cost of technology but I'd like to go a little bit further on that is are you involved in any kind of um, programs that bring the technology price down or encourage the development of what Rod was talking about, and that is, I won't say bargain price, but uh, affordable technology for these kinds of situations. David? The, the cost issue for a person in a family with ALS is, is one of the critical elements. Uh, uh, our estimates uh, suggest somewhere in the $140,000 uh, is what 
cost an individual with ALS from the progression from diagnosis through to uh, uh, to end stage. So uh, there isn't a lot of money available for technology. Uh, the provincial governments in the ten provinces across Canada have some varying programs to provide support. The provincial societies also have uh, equipment programs where uh, they have available various uh, forms of technology that are available at no charge to, uh, to individuals. And again, it depends on what province you live in and whether you're close to uh, a major urban center as to whether or not uh, that's available. I am able to answer positively around your query of is the ALS Society of Canada involved in anything that, that may have some uh, helpful influence on, on the cost. Uh, as we are expanding our, our research programs, we are now beginning to take a look at uh, the engineering side of, uh, uh, of science around quality of life issues and what is out there that we can support up-and-coming uh, researchers to draw them into the field of engineering to identify things that will make, uh, in this case, uh, communication easier and uh, one uh, would hope less expensive because we'll have uh, helped to underwrite the exploration costs on it. This is a this is getting far away from basic science and clinical research. This is now moving into quality of life research. Very good. Very good concept, if I may say so. Now, I want to talk about another aspect, or another topic anyway, that my two guests raised. And that is, both of them basically said it, they had never heard of the disease before it struck them or their family. So my question, Rod, is what's being done in Australia to increase society-wide recognition of the disease and its impact? Good. No, I suppose I have to challenge the, the whole precept that society-wide recognition actually changes anything for a client or someone that's got uh, got ALS. Um, you know, we we invest time and energy in uh, MND weeks or... Um, you know, awareness activities, but I'm yet to see anything that actually changes the outcome for a client through that mechanism. Certainly we can, you know, tailor uh, fundraising activities that go on the end of, of awareness activities that uh, can generate funds for the delivery of services. But to me, the best way that uh, uh, society-wide recognition can be achieved is by people with the disease and people living with the disease talking about it to their friends and their friends talking about it to others. Because what we recognise in our, in our uh, psyche is when a person talks about their experience. And I'm sure David will talk about the, the advertisements that ALS Canada have done, which really fall back on that exact issue. It's about individuals telling their story. Um, individuals that people know about, people uh, meet in the street, gets the message across much better than uh, you know the, the broadcast uh, uh, activities that might go on trying to educate the general public. Right. That uh, all, could... almost reads back into the social networking, doesn't it? Gordon, can well, I it just, does. Can yeah. I just comment David, on that? David, yeah. Uh, I absolutely ascribe to what Rod's saying, and I have a couple of examples where 
uh, we have had the opportunity uh, to get in to see uh, a number of the most senior political uh, personages in Canada uh, last fall. And it turns out that the reason we got in the door is because they have a connection, they have an awareness, they know whereof we speak. We don't have to explain the disease to them. And those are the sorts of people at high levels that, that we need to have uh, supporting. Good, uh, right. Now, just fairly briefly, these, these next couple of questions. What about society-wide recognition of the role of the family caregiver? What uh, do you think can be done about that in connection with the particular disease uh, we're talking thank about? Thank you, Rod, for, uh, for mentioning. We have a, uh, uh, a program of public service announcements that... Uh, combine it, it's actually they're, they're images of a family a husband and wife and the wife is the caregiver in one scene and then in another circumstance it's, it's reversed and uh, you, these are being broadcast on television right across Canada they're in the major newspapers they're on bus shelters they're in subways and they, they graphically demonstrate the impact and the progressive uh, uh, disabling impact of ALS. Uh, and it, it's, having, uh, it's, it's clearly having an impact because of the, uh, uh, the feedback that we are, uh, we're receiving. Also, and it's not just ALS, it's, it's caregivers in general. The, the government in Canada recognizes the, the role of caregivers. They recognize uh, that there are something like 4 million uh, Canadians, that's almost a tenth of the population who are involved in, in caregiving. And if you were to extrapolate the value, it approximates something around $5 billion annually that caregivers are uh, providing by way of unpaid service. So there is a high awareness of the role, the need for, and the likelihood of the expansion of that role. Uh, as the baby boom population uh, moves through the system. Good. Can I just add, add yeah, something? Far away, the, Rob. Australian, the Australian government has recognised the role of caregivers by actually creating a carers allowance that helps provide some funds to carers um, and is a direct financial recognition of the additional costs of giving up work and uh, remaining at home to provide care. Rod, what's the quantity of money? that's involved in that? I mean for the individual family. Uh, look, it's not huge, Gordon. I think it's around $220 a week. Um, it's, it's paid uh, as to recognise the costs of caregiving, of uh, reducing the amount of work that a person might be able to do in their normal working life. Um, and it can also obviously be used to purchase other things, other services. Right. And it also is recognition, isn't it? Exactly. And I think recognition uh, is often the, the hardest thing that, that caregivers face. Lack of it devalues their role and responsibility in the community. Yeah, and exactly to, right. to add to that, uh, Rod, there is a... I'm going to have to cut you off, I'm afraid, because okay. we're going into the break. But we'll come back to that in the next segment, because this is a strong point. So it is time for us to take the short break. We do have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are David Cameron and Rod Harris. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Please stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Tune into a program that's all about empowerment and human potential. It's all about navigating your life. In fact, that is the name of the program. Tune in every Monday morning for the Navigating Your Life Show with host Dr. Nathaniel J. Williams. Each week we'll discuss a range of topics to help you with the challenges facing us every day. The information given can be implemented immediately and may change your life forever. The Navigating Your Life Show is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, David Cameron and Rod Harris. Our topic is Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and MND, and support for family caregivers. Now, this is the question about what our two guests would do. And we're going to suppose that you two, as individuals, are appointed by your government to oversee the development of support for family caregiving for the disease and others like it. What things would you propose and why? And I think, David, you... You've got a comment about legislation, so why don't you start? Sure. Uh, just to follow on, on Rod's last comment about legislation, about uh, five or six years ago, the federal government in Canada uh, came out with something they refer to as compassionate care benefits, and they are part of the unemployment uh, or the employment insurance uh, program. And uh, it's designed to enable an individual to take up to six weeks off uh, and receive uh, payment from the government. It's uh, a couple of hundred dollars a week. Uh, The more important element is that for that period of six weeks, your job is guaranteed uh, so that you can go back to it. Uh, it's uh, It's a foot in the door. 
it, it's it's good in the sense that it is now there and it didn't used to be. It's uh, woefully inadequate. Uh, one can never time when six weeks is uh, is going to be the time that you need to take care of uh, someone who may be approaching end stage. But it does enable us to point to an existing program and lobby the government, which is where uh, I would suggest we need to go. And in fact, uh, we are uh, pushing uh, the opposition uh, for a program like that in the uh, in the event that they uh, reach government status. And and we've had a a very positive response to uh, to the concept. Right. I'm going to come back to you, David, because I just want Rod's input. Have you anything to say about legislation, or would you rather talk about the political platform that you would have now that you're a candidate, so to say? I'd rather talk about the political platform, and in Australia at the moment, we've uh, got just started a very strong push to create a national disability insurance scheme. Um, Australia's got a history of having universal eligibility for um, health benefits and, and health support and that can be topped up with private uh, insurance. And in our um, motor vehicle compensation scheme, increasingly each of the states is moving to a no-fault entitlement system rather than an at-fault uh, legal system. I'd be arguing to introduce a no-fault entitlement insurance scheme that supports all people with disabilities. It would be funded by a, a small percentage of everyone's income tax, uh, as is our current uh, universal health scheme, and it would pay for all issues in re arising from uh, the onset of a disability, whether from birth or acquired through life. We're firmly of the view that uh, people with disabilities generally need to be empowered by having control of funds, have an entitlement rather than an eligibility and then have to stand in waiting queues and be able to access the resources that uh, will enable to them to live a full and active life, engaging with the community and uh, not being dependent. Right. David? Your political platform, please. We, as every country in the world, I, I expect, uh, face burgeoning health care costs. Uh, the federal government that does transfer payments on health care to the provinces and all the provinces are finding their health care budgets are absolutely, uh, uh, they keep skyrocketing and they don't have enough money and they cut back uh, the the answer is simply there is a need to recognize uh, that caregivers and individuals with uh, uh, these types of diseases like ALS need to be taken care of in the home. It is far less expensive to keep a person out of the hospital than it is uh, to pay the daily rate in the hospital. From a politician's point of view, uh, they are living for the moment, and it is not politically uh, astute to be uh, suggesting more money to be spent at a point in time to save money in the future. Politicians don't see themselves as necessarily going to be around in the future, so uh, the logic of uh, spend the money now so that we save in the future doesn't obtain. Right. 
Rod, is what David has just been saying um, resonant? Does it work with the scheme that you have in mind of what I'll call universal um, recognition of um, requirements, disabilities, regardless of their origin? We, we believe that uh, given the basis that is the Australian community has is, is developed of, with universal health care, that uh, this is a politically sound direction to take. We know that uh, the costs of disability are increasing. We know with the burgeoning population that the number of people with disabilities who have unmet needs that require additional support is increasing. And we feel that an insurance-based scheme is the best way to move ahead. And when I say insurance, I don't mean insurance paid for by individuals taking out a policy, but insurance that's actually funded through the taxation system and managed by an independent third party. We actually think that it's really important that uh, financial independence be given to people with disabilities of all kinds because that improves their status and value to the community as a whole. And I think that uh, politically this will be seen as a viable and sensible step and I would see it in place in Australia within five years. Right. David, are you prepared to argue that there, other than savings of costs for the um, hospital and healthcare system, do you see any positive economic benefits uh, for the scheme that you're talking about? Sorry, I missed that, Gordon. Okay. Um, having people at home, having people engaged with things that they can actually do and be productive would seem to me to have some economic benefits quite apart from the savings in the healthcare system. Do you have any evidence of that? Do you believe in that? Uh, there are uh, many surveys out there that, uh, uh, that demonstrate that people do better at home than in, in the hospital, and there are surveys of individuals who make it very clear that uh, they prefer to be at home, and if they're in end stage, they prefer to uh, complete their, uh, their life at home, surrounded by their loved ones, as opposed to the antiseptic uh, environment of a hospital. Right. That's a sort of psychosocial benefit, isn't it? Yes. All right. Rod, what do you see as the psychosocial benefits of the insurance scheme, the government insurance scheme you're talking about? Look, I think it removes the stress and strain of waiting to gain access to services. The, this disease progresses so quickly that uh, by the time a need is developed, uh, develops and a response to that need actually appears, people have moved on and have new needs and, in, and, and changed needs. And I think that uh, the advantages of an insurance-based system with the money in the hands of the person with a disability and their, and their carers is that uh, they can adjust their expenditure on services and support, living in the community as and when they need them and as they change. And I think that flexibility uh, removes significantly the level of stress that uh, people would experience and it also means that uh, people can and, uh, carers in particular can continue to play an active economic role in their community through work or community engagement. Yeah, that particular point about people being able to, family caregivers being able to carry on in employment, uh, maintain the family earnings and this kind of thing keeps coming up and out, out 
coming out again and again, and that if there's support at home for the time that the family caregiver is working, that's a broad economic benefit all around. Um, David, have you any evidence of that actually occurring? Have you any data, seen any data to suggest that that really is the case? It, it's, uh, it's anecdotal, and it, it's, uh, it's kind of uh, something that, that logically uh, makes sense, but uh, I don't, I'm not aware of any uh, studies in that regard. Rod, have you seen any evidence of that? Uh, look, there has been some research done in neurological disease that uh, uh, looked at the economic benefit of uh, carers remaining at work and remaining in their role of, of, uh, of lover and partner rather than carer and nurse. Um, but uh, it's been focused on direct economic benefit. Uh, one major study was done in multiple sclerosis and uh, I think it showed over the course of, uh, I, th I think they were looking at a course of five years, a benefit to the community of about $200,000. Right, which is pretty impressive. Well, it is, it's, you know, and it's measured uh, based on taxation income that would be contributed yeah. by the working yeah. carer. Yeah. Now, I'm afraid we're, we're out of time, so I have to close um, your political platforms at this time, but just let me say, were I a voter... Um, in either Australia or in Canada on this particular thing, I'd definitely vote for you. So <laughs> thank you both very much. First, though, thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with any comments or questions, which I'll be happy to pass on to our two guests. I want to say thank you to our guests, David Cameron and Rod Harris, for sharing with us your experience, your insights, your advice, what your organizations do, and where you want to see things going. Um, because you've said that, yes, there's a certain amount of additional recognition that can be got, but in the end, the recognition has to reflect practical realities of cost, of care, and of needs of the family as a whole. Uh, so, again, thank you. Our next episode, we're going to talk about the family caregiver and the family doctor and how they work together when a loved one chooses home to die. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.